I'm Stacey Lindis from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Get Inspired and Innovate. Today, we're going to be talking about what is UDL. So, Stephanie, the last last couple, we've been talking about video games, we're talking about sports, and kind of felt like that was my area of expertise a little bit. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, as a high school math teacher, this is something that I struggled with, was UDL, different, di- differentiating instruction for students in my classroom, meeting all the needs. So how are you uh, doing that up there in, in your uh, district? Um, Well, as a former spec ed teacher, I love UDL. And I think that was really hard for me when I kind of became a coach and I would go into classrooms and it wasn't familiar for other teachers. Um, Some teachers really struggled with it. Other teachers found it really easy. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like, oh, some people are able to do it and some aren't. So why is that? And, And why do some people struggle with it? And just kind of talking with teachers about their classroom and I think we have a thing where we say like name them and claim them. And so when we do those kind of data chats with teachers, they're like telling us kids. So they're like this kid, he struggles with not doing his work. This kid struggles um, with whatever. And then it's like, well, have you tried this strategy? Have you done this activity with that student to help them? Um, Or do you want me to come in and model it with you? Because I think sometimes you need that other set of eyes or even just a team of teachers to talk about those students like oh well what what do you do to make it work um because I think back when I was in school there was no UDL everybody sat you got the same lesson um there wasn't different differentiated instruction there wasn't even really videos it was more the teacher up at the center of the room just talking and now UDL there's so many resources that you could use in your classroom. And again, some teachers are using them all and using them great. And then others, I feel like don't know where to even begin. Um, so I feel like it's kind of mixed. What, what about you, Lance? You said you struggled with it. So, well, one, uh, you know, I was at, I guess about fifth grade, I was diagnosed with, uh, ADD and dyslexia. So, uh, I, I understand it from the, the student standpoint. And I think I, I did a fairly good job teaching math because because of that. But I did have to set some rules with my students. It's like, you know, if, if I'm teaching and I say the answer is 64 and it's 46, I said, just let me know. I just said it backwards there. Uh, you know, so when, when I first started teaching, my UDL was, if you didn't get it the first time, I'm going to say it slower and louder. And then maybe you'll get it this time. But then I had to learn of actually how to differentiate the instruction to meet the needs of all of my students. And what I found over time was, you know, we all learn different ways. And, and if I could let students try different learning styles and different strategies, that would work. But then also working in pull out. So, so I always ran station rotations, flip learning in my classroom. So I could pull those students out and have them work with peers. And there'd be some peer tutoring going on, but also working with myself one-on-one. And I tried to make sure that I worked with everybody one-on-one that way. You know, nobody felt like they were being pulled out. And I think, too, if you ask teachers in a room, 98% of them were probably the type A go-getter type of people. 
Um, their GPAs were probably like 4.0s to 3.5 range. And some of our students are not there, you know, they're going to be successful in other areas. And so how do you communicate that with teachers that didn't struggle in school? Because um, I mean, I was a struggling student, I hated school. And so I think that's part of it as well. Like most of them are really good at it. And so when you are like, hey, you should do this for that student, it's sometimes like, what like why you know like like they should just get it like or they're not working hard enough yeah and y'all don't tell my balls but I still don't like school so I've been trying to change it since I've been there I haven't been successful yet doing that I'm gonna go ahead and bring our guest on for today hopefully she can help us uh figure out how to how to use UDL and what it actually is so we got Miss Lisa Burkhoff joining us today she's joining us from uh just north of Chicago uh, she is currently there as the director of instructional technology uh, at a high school there. She's former uh, full-time SPED teacher, and she was Washington, D.C. 2017 Innovator class and then was a coach in London. I don't know how you put up with all those London guys, Lisa, but, you know, bless your heart there. Uh, but welcome to the show today. We're glad to have you with us. Help, help Stephanie and I out and our listeners. How do we do this UDL thing? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be here. So I also, it's glad that you brought, I'm glad that you brought up um, as teachers and how we were as students. I am also someone who did not love school. I was not diagnosed with a disability, but I just, I don't know. I feel like I could kind of take it or leave it. There were one or two teachers that I had in my high school experience that were really super engaging and I really enjoyed their classes. And now that I know so much about universal design for learning. When I think back on those experiences, it's like, oh, right. They were like hitting all the marks um, on UDL. So really quickly, just a quick background. Universal design for learning was created by an organization called CAST. They're out of Boston and it's based in brain research. So this is not just like hunches of teachers thinking that they're doing the right thing. There is actual brain science behind it. And there are three main framework frameworks in universal design for learning. So the first one we refer to as the why of learning, and it has to do with providing students with multiple means for engagement. So this always makes me think about those kids who are sitting in the back of the room going, when am I ever going to need this? Why do I need to learn this? Who cares? Students who maybe struggle with executive functioning, kind of figuring out how to put all the pieces together. And so by providing options for those students, you can really tap into their learning and get them going. So while CAST would probably disagree with me, I really think that the engagement framework is probably the most important. If you can't get a student motivated or engaged or excited to learn, I feel like the other stuff is kind of a moot point. Um, the next framework is to provide multiple means of representation. So how students take in information. So giving lots of options. So Stephanie, you had mentioned being in school and having a, a teacher just be at the front of the room talking all of the time. So now we know that it's really important to, sure, provide auditory information, but how about also some visual? 
Um, so we know that students who don't love to read can learn a whole lot from maybe looking at an infographic or watching a video. So providing options, it's really all about being flexible and, and giving students more than one opportunity to kind of get that information and learn. And then the final um, framework has to do with multiple means of, rep of um, representation. So how students show us what they know. I've often had students in the past who I knew really could do well. They knew the information and yet they would just continue to bomb quiz after quiz after quiz. And finally it occurred to me, maybe giving them a quiz isn't really the best way for me to assess their learning. And so through my understanding of UDL, it kind of prompted me to give them some, some options. Sure, maybe taking a quiz is a good way for one student to show what they know, but maybe for another student, they could just explain it to me. Maybe an, another student would draw a picture or write an essay. So it really boils down to giving kids um, options, giving students options for how they engage with material, how they take in information, and then also how they show us what they know. And the CAST website is really great. Um, they have their UDL guidelines all laid out for you. So if it seems overwhelming, it's really nicely um, presented. And I always say to teachers, just start slow. You don't have to overhaul everything that you do. Buy one new thing and, and look for ways to provide students with options. So that is, that's UDL in a nutshell. Yeah. So, so two things you said there that I want to want to point out uh, is one, I agree with you. Uh, if I can't engage you into the learning, I can't teach. So I, I'm right there with you, Lisa. I think engagement is probably the, the most important thing that we can do. Uh, number number two, um, I'm right there with you too on multiple representations of learning. Um, I, had, I had a couple of teachers that I worked with in college that recognized some of their students struggled with, you know, their calculus two, calculus three test. And what they found out was reading it off a piece of paper on the test, they weren't understanding what they wanted, whether it was they poorly wrote the questions or the student just wasn't able to ask questions during the test. So the teacher started pulling those students to their office and verbally giving them the test. And the, you know, if the student didn't understand exactly what they were asking them, they could ask questions and clarify exactly what they wanted them to do. Yeah, that's great. I also worked with a group of math teachers at my school who actually decided to start requiring um, that teacher or that, sorry, that students show their understanding in more than one way. So they were concerned that their students were just kind of like memorizing formulas and spitting back numbers and not really understanding what they were doing. And so they would say, okay, you know, there are four options for showing your understanding of um, the Pythagorean theorem, for example, pick two and, and, you know, solve this problem using those two. And one of them might've been with numbers and another one maybe was with drawing a picture or writing it out in words. And they really felt like they were getting much better data in terms of how well their students understood the material. 
Yeah. And I think too, giving kids choice, you know, and allowing them to take ownership of their learning um, helps that engagement factor. It helps them, you know, kind of what you were saying, like they can show what they know in a way that they feel comfortable rather than a test and a piece of paper, um, which is really exciting for our students. Yeah, giving kids just a little bit of feeling of control over their own learning can really go a long way. And I know that a lot of times as teachers like to kind of be in control, a lot of a lot of us are very type A and want to be able to control all the variables. But if you really think about it, does it really matter um, if a student, you know, chooses to draw a picture versus make a video as long as they're showing their understanding or if they read an article versus look at an app infographic, as long as they're getting the same, you know, information. So it really does. And they, you know, they're interwoven. So students will be more motivated if they feel like they have more control. So giving them some options, giving them some choices, um, makes a big difference. Now, there's also that notion of the paradox of choice. We don't want to just make it so open-ended. I've worked with teachers before who have said, oh yeah, they had a choice. I told them they could do whatever they wanted. And it's like, well, that's not going to work <laughs> because then they just become paralyzed with there's too many options out there. So I usually like to present students with um, three or four choices. And I'm, I'm truly fine with any of the ones that they pick. And they really feel like, okay, they, they are, you know, kind of taking some ownership. They've been able to choose which, which one they want to go with. So, so you sound like you were describing Stephanie to a T there for a second with that type A personality of having to be in control and control everything. Just control that out there. <laughs> I don't need control. <laughs> yeah. Some people need to come to some of our staff meetings and see. You don't have any staff meetings. <laughs> I was talking about we're global. Oh. <laughs> we had one the other night. Me, you and Kyle were there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take control. See, I'm getting better. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go on to our. We're going to go on to our. Process. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> we're going to go on to our next segment, which is our meme and quote segment. So, Lisa, what meme or quote did you bring this week? Oh, my gosh. Um, did I bring it with me? It was from Atomic Habits, which yes. I love that book. Oh my God. I can't stop talking about that book. Um, I can't find my quote right in front of me. Do you have it? I can read it. Um, you do not rise to the level of your goal. Oh, you fall yes. to the level of your system. System. Yes. I love it. So Atomic Habits, I've become like this crazy, like I'm such a nerd about this habits book. I can't stop talking about it because I feel like it's so applicable in so many areas um, of life. I am an avid fitness and nutrition enthusiast, um, in addition to being an educator and a mom. And I find myself like interjecting this book into everything. So this idea that um, goals are great, Goals are important. You need to know where you're headed. You need to know where, you know, what you're trying to achieve, but it's the systems that really determine where, where we go. So in the book, Atomic Habits by James Clear, he talks about, you know, just looking at sports teams, 
don't they all have the same goals or like the Olympic trials going on right now? Don't you think all those athletes have the same goals? They all want to do the best they can and get into the Olympics. Obviously it's not that one athlete's goals were different than another. It has to do with the systems that they put in place in order to get to those goals. That's what really matters. So I feel like in education, we are so guilty of um, setting goals and mission statements. And we want like our philosophy etched on, you know, the side of the wall. So all students can see it as they walk in and those things are fine. But if your systems don't actually support your goals, then it doesn't really matter. So that notion of um, you know, you don't rise to your goals. You really fail to where your systems lie, um, which is a little bit of a downer. I like to think of it as, you know, that you rise to the level of your systems. So when you put things in place uh, that will really make improvements, that is where you'll see things start to change and happen. And it has to be consistent and it has to be over time. We know in education, things tend to move kind of slowly, even though um, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. When you have really good solid systems in place to help support your students, systems like universal design for learning, and you're able to really stick with them and use them consistently over time, you will absolutely see changes. And as a former special education teacher, I mean, I spent so much time, just exhaustive amounts of time writing goals and benchmarks and IEPs and how are we gonna measure these things? And it was all about what's the goal and not as much focus was really spent on what, is the, what are the systems that we put in place in order to get to those goals. So that is, um, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, and I also love how he talks about like making things automatic or take it off your phone if it's that automatic click. Um, so that really resonated with me in that book. I just loved it. Yeah. I also love his notion of just try to get 1% better each day. I think sometimes um, when I'm working with teachers, they, they get excited about something and they want to like overhaul everything they do. And I, I tell them, you don't have to do that. Just let's go for small incremental change. And then over time, that's where the big change happens. Yeah, definitely. And so I have been reading a lot of Jim Knight right now. And I just, I have like an edu crush on him right now. I, know I, like had, the, I had the <laughs> good fortune of being in a class with him oh. through, um, through the Northwestern University Coaching um, Center. He did a, um, it was like a once a month for six months. Um, I just got to like spend the day with him. He's, he's so amazing. Just incredible. Yeah. I'm a yeah. huge fan. And so his quote is, um, we need time to sit together, to listen, to worry and dream together. And I think sometimes we don't have those conversations with teachers because we're like, go, 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 go. But really we do need to slow down and just sit there and listen to people. Like, what is the biggest issue with your UDL? What is the issue with that uh, student? And how can we brainstorm together a solution for them? Lance? 
It's the one that I brought today is accessibility. It's not a feature. It's a social movement or social trend that we use there. And the reason that I say that is we all have accessibility features that we use now. Uh, some of us may not even realize it, but if you're using Siri or if you're using uh, whatever the one is for Amazon and Google, uh, you know, those are accessibility features that we're using. So accessibility features can enhance all of our lives so we're already using them, whether we know it or not. So it's no longer uh, just just a, uh, a feature. It's now a trend. That's such a good point. And there are so many accessibility features now that are ubiquitous. We wouldn't even think of them as accessibility. So, for example, listening to audiobooks. I love listening to audiobooks when I'm running. And obviously, those were initially created for people with visual impairments. But everybody really benefits. Um, so when we design in UDL, they would say design for the edges. When you design for the people kind of in those marginal spaces, everyone really, really does benefit. So I love that. Yeah. And then Lisa, what's something that you've learned that you can share with others? So I really think that, um, one of the things, and this kind of speaks to your, the quote that you had mentioned, I think over this past year, one of the things that we've learned so much is the value of slowing down, the value of, of just listening to each other. Um, and, you know, when people say, oh, when COVID's over, when things go back to normal, and I'm like, there's some things that I kind of hope don't go back to normal. <laughs> And that feeling of constantly rushing and constantly going from space to space without really taking the time to slow down um, and just listen to each other. So I feel like that's something that I've definitely learned over the past year is just the value of slowing down, taking a minute and just being in the moment. You know, I was, I was at a conference last week and they shared some data that they've got. And it said that 90% of American parents do not want education to go back to the way it was before COVID. There are things that they saw during COVID that they hope continues to happen, you know, post-COVID. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. I have two teenagers. And so our our lives pre-COVID was a lot of like, rush, rush, rush. You're running late. Where are your shoes? Where's your stuff? We got to go. And um, it's been kind of nice to not to not have that. So I really do hope that we are able to hang on to a little bit of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so something I've learned is um, one of my teachers, I had to sub with her, sub for her so she could attend a meeting. And I, I did the game completely wrong because I didn't understand the directions. But then after um, she came back from her meeting, I was able to understand the game and it was really, really cool. So I wanted to share it real quick. Um, so there's three people, three students on a team. One student is the runner, one student is the researcher, and then one is the scribe. So the scribe and the researcher are on two different ends. And then the runner is like that telephone person, like they get told from the researcher what to tell the scribe, and then they have to run back and forth. And again, I did it completely wrong. Um, but when she did, it was beautiful. And it was just so funny because one of the kids, he was like running and he's telling the kid and the kid's writing and the other, the researcher could tell what the student was writing. And he's like, that's wrong, you know? And, and they were just so engaged by this game and just the culture that she created in her classroom for it. Um, so I just linked the template that she gave me. 
Lance? Yeah, so uh, what I shared here was uh, our editor, Kyle, and I did a session last year at ISTE uh, over accessibility features for Chromebooks. We're actually going to do that same session again this year. We just got a little bit more time. But I shared last year's session uh, here, the slide deck for that. So you guys can go in there and look at that and see some accessibility features you can do with Chromebooks. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to Get Inspired and Innovate. Lisa, how can people connect with you? Yeah, so I am at Lisa Berghoff on Twitter. I'm Lisa.Berghoff on Instagram. Um, I have a very old blog <laughs> called Rethink Teach that I wasn't going to mention, but I am. And I also write the giant ed tech blog, which is for my school, but it's open to absolutely anybody who wants it. Every Tuesday, uh, I feature new features either with Chrome, Chromebooks, um, any kind of ed tech tools. And it's a great resource for anyone who wants to kind of jump in and see what's out there. Perfect. Thank you. And all of those links will be in our show notes at getinspiredandinnovate.com. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys soon.